Trigger warning for today's episode. Today's episode discusses mental health and suicide. If this is something that's going to trigger you, please listen to a previous episode. Addicted to something that I'm ultimately never going to be able to come off. And then my life is just going to be me taking pills, taking pills, taking pills to kind of numb the pain. I don't, that's not what I, I don't want that. So I, I just threw them away. I, I literally just chucked them. I flushed them down the toilet, got rid of them. I never, never took another one. Welcome to the Prime Life Project podcast, a place to help you unlock your full potential, both mentally and physically, to become the best version of you. Welcome back to another episode of the Prime Life Project podcast. I'm your host, Daniel James, and today I'm joined by another Daniel. I'm joined today by Mr. Daniel Herrick. How are we? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you very much. Awesome. Now, this episode today... Um, is very, very specific what we're going to talk about. So we're going to talk about the military. We're going to talk about your time in the military. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, how a lot of military people struggle coming out of the military with their mental health. But we're not talking about the general um, PTSD that most people associate with that. So we're going to go down a bit of a, a rabbit hole with some of this stuff, uh, go quite deep with your mental health journey. So again, just sort of pre-framing that. If you take any value from today's episode or you think somebody might take some value from what Dan's going to share with us today, please don't forget to like and share it with a friend to help us help the word, help us spread the word, help as many people as possible. Uh, there's going to be some really good bits of information here today. Uh, some real raw, honest truths where, again, we spoke about this off air. We've been chatting for the last, what, 45 minutes. Mm. Um, and I'm really looking forward to this. So uh, let's take my audience back because like I said, you're not your typical military story. No. So 100%. I'm going to let you guide this conversation meaning you you start where you feel comfortable but let's just take my audience back we're going to put it into three sections like i spoke about before so your first time in the military when you came out and then what you're sort of doing now so let's just take my audience back can you give us a bit of a brief overview of daniel herrick and his time in the military yeah uh well i think i was always destined to join the military really uh, i come from a military family so my, my dad was in the air force my granddad was a photographer in the air force like i became eventually um and my auntie was in my uncle was in my cousin's still in uh, so I, I always knew that there, there was going to be a guidance there um my older brother and younger brother were never really interested in it um but I'd, I'd always had an interest in the military whether it be through films books whatever um and it was just selecting what i wanted to do uh, when i joined up so i finally plucked the courage up at 21 to kind of think i've got enough life experience now i think i can handle myself in there and i joined up uh, and i followed the, in the footsteps of my granddad um at the time i did want to join an infantry regiment or do something like that uh, but my dad um in retrospect now quite smartly talked me out of it because it's all right once you go to combat and all that sort of thing but when you come home you there's a lot of bored infantrymen there's not really much to do um and i wanted to leave with if i did leave leave with a trade um so my granddad had been a photographer i'd seen how successful he'd been he went to work on sort of big television projects newspapers and things like that were you into photography at all at this point yeah so i'd always had a passing interest in it i was quite a good keen amateur my dad was an amateur as well so i was always the one taking pictures when we went out um so I, I knew I had interest in that as well and I'd seen kind of what the Air Force photographers did um and I, I had a you know Robert Kappa who was a World War II photographer and Don McCullen as well as a, a World War II photographer I had their books and I'd seen some of the images and there's some very striking images in those books documenting uh the history of the Second World War and, and, and Vietnam War so I kind of thought well I could go and do that for Afghanistan, Iraq, you know, that I could become that kind of photographer for modern conflicts. So that was the, the other thought process behind it. Um, so I say I joined up at 21 and um, went through the training, best training I've ever been through. And uh, Do you still have to train like a regular soldier? Yes. So you have to know how to fire a gun, have to... 100%. Because yeah. any military, whatever trade you do, whether it's photographer or infantryman, you are a soldier first. So yeah. if the shit hits the fan... 
you have you to put your camera down. You put your camera down. You put your rifle up. Yep. Uh, it's no good me going out. So say if I was on the ground with the troops in Afghan, there's no good me um, just having a camera out there. I'm going to need to toss that off and pick up my rifle to be able to defend myself and defend me. The guys so, all, so all points, would you have a gun on you then? So like, yeah. so at least you have a camera and then, but then strapped behind you, you'd have your gun with you. So yeah, I've, yeah. I've always, you know, this sounds bizarre. Like, I assumed that's how it was. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't know if you would actually be armed with a gun or yeah. if it's a case of if it came to combat, you'd have to find a gun. And, you know what I mean? No, it sounds, no. It so, silly and bizarre. So guys like Don McCullen and Robert Capo, who I mentioned before, they were journalists. So they wouldn't necessarily carry a firearm. They would literally just have their camera and they would go out. Um, but for the guys, like, because you can do it in the Air Force, the Army and the Navy, if you're out on the ground with the troops, you're carrying a weapon uh, because you are then an extra hand on the ground, if you like. Um, so you're going to get rid of your camera and you're going to pick up your weapon and then you're going to do that first. That's that's the first thing you need to be able to do. That's quite reassuring for them as well. No, yeah, you're not a, li- not, not a liability. So you're yeah. there to be a photographer, but mm. you're not like, if shit is the fan, you're not like, oh, we've got to protect Dan. It's like, no, no, Dan's fine. He's a soldier. He's one of us. Yeah. You just happen to be good with the camera. That's quite yeah. reassuring. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, you have to go. So you, do, you still do the same basic training as everybody else. Everyone gets that same basic training package. Obviously, um, the infantry service in, in the Air Force is the RAF regiment. They'll do an extended, um, uh, like a trade training, if you like. And then once you've done your basic training, which at my time was nine weeks, uh, you then go and do your trade training. My trade training was seven months down at RAF Cosford um, near Wolverhampton. And then from there, um, I did my first posting, which was uh, RAF Cottesmore, working with the Harry, which I'd always wanted to work with. Um, and then that only lasted nine months because Cottesmore closed and the Harry disbanded. And then I went and did a year on the Red Arrows. So I was the Red Arrows official photographer for a year. And that was a particularly tough year because, unfortunately, we lost um, John Egan and Sean Cunningham. Uh, they were both killed in, in separate accidents. Um, so that was quite hard to, to come to terms with. Uh, and then I, I moved on to RAF Coningsby in 2012 and did three amazing years there. Flew in Lancaster, flew in the Typhoon, Dakota. We're going to, um, uh, if it's okay with you, we're going to get yeah. Mikey to put your pictures up on the YouTube. Yeah, of course. So, that's it. Well, so if, you, if you're listening to this on audio, uh, I recommend you get yourself over to the YouTube channel so you can see uh, some of Dan's photos because he's actually kind enough to bring me one, which I'm going to get um, like um, put in a frame because it is absolutely incredible for the, yeah. the, the Queen's Jubilee. Yeah, 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 100%. What, what are you in? So I was, I was sat in the, bo- in the rear gunner of the Lancaster bomber. Um, so we got to do some really Gucci Gucci stuff um, and there's a hurricane literally underneath my feet, hurricane fighter jet literally underneath my feet and so I flew in the Dakota as well I flew in the, in the Typhoon doing air to air with other Typhoons and stuff like that so I, I got to do some really cool stuff there and then I did a four month um, detachment to Lithuania where we did the Baltic Air Police and so just after I don't know if anyone remembers but just after Russia went in and annexed Ukraine and took, uh, took that part of Ukraine back um, we were deployed immediately to, to Lithuania to protect the Baltic Air Police uh, Baltic Airspace uh, because they were obviously quite rightly scared that the Russians were going to start sweeping across Europe and start taking back old Soviet states. So uh, we were sent out there. And that was, you know, there was some hairy stuff there, not for me in particular, but for the pilots, they had some 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 quite hairy moments. But uh, And it was shortly after that four-month, literally it was after that four-month um, detachment to Lithuania that I left the Air Force. Uh, so I did just over sort of, well, I did about five and a half years, uh, just shy of six years, all told in the Air Force. And, and then I left, but um, I had a great time. I absolutely loved it. What was your reason for leaving? So there was a number of factors, really. Um, I say when I joined up, I made a list of things that I wanted to achieve. Um, so I, I'm, I'm all about goal setting. I'm all about going, this is what I want to do. Uh, even before I joined up, like I wanted to be a radio presenter. I wanted to be a, a, a football commentator. They were the things I wanted oh, to so be. This, this, is like, this is like comforting to you then. Yeah, yeah. So this is, this, is, this is like home <laughs> for me. So, and, and even that, I went and did hospital radio. Who's your in, football team? 
Newcastle United, unfortunately. Oh, uh, I'm Aston Villa fans. So oh, yeah, yeah, so you're doing all right. Yeah, then, as, yeah. as long as you're not like an Arsenal fan or a, no. Uh, I had I had Mikey, this guy. I don't know if he dare show his face. <laughs> I, I was on his bus doing a podcast. Yeah, and uh, he said, "Oh, do you want a coffee?" He said, "Yeah, yeah." He then presents me with an Arsenal mug. Oh dear. Like, uh, yeah, I've, I'm never going to let him move that down. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, so yeah, I went into the hospital radio in Norwich, and then. Through that, I went and did football commentary at Norwich City whilst they were in the championship. So I'm always oh, about... You, you actually did football commentary? Yeah, yeah. So oh, I did amazing. it for for about four or five games we went and did in the end. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. And then I never really followed it through, to be honest. I don't know why. I just never really followed it through. I think the military was too strong of a calling, really. Yeah. And I always knew that that's where I was going to end up. So, um, But yeah, I enjoyed doing that. And like I say, I set myself some goals before joining the Air Force of what I wanted to do. Uh, flying a fast jet, flying certain other aircraft. I wanted to go and do an exercise. But one of the ones I wanted to do was was to go to Afghanistan. That was one of the reasons I joined up. Um, obviously, what happened in 2001 with 9-11 was a big driving force for me joining up as well. Uh, that sort of really affected me and the fact that I, I felt sort of passionately about joining the military to kind of help out. Um, and I applied to go three times. I applied to go twice in trade, um, but because of the relationship between the Air Force and the Army, uh, I was only a senior aircraftman or SAC at the time. And to be a photographer in the Army, you had to be a corporal. And uh, when you go out to Afghan, predominantly you're working with the Army and they will only work with corporals. Um, So because I was an SAC, they wouldn't allow me to go out and do my trade out on the ground in Afghan. Um, so I applied twice, got turned down twice, and then I applied to go and do, because you can do out-of-trade jobs, and one of those out-of-trade jobs was prison handler. So you were literally just in like one of the prisons in Afghanistan. When they captured people, you would be looking after them. And I got turned down for that as well because the trade was too small. So they said, we can't ex- we can't expend you from the trade. You need to stay, stay put. So um, I applied three times and never got it, and it was a disappointment at the time. Now, not so much, um, but at the time it was a disappointment. But everything else on the list, I'd done bobsleigh, which I, I wanted to do. Um, I'd done luge, which I wanted to do. I'd done AT, I'd, which is adventurous training. Um, I'd done everything else that was on the list, flown in the aircraft I wanted to fly in, uh, apart from the Harrier. Um, but I was I was kind of like, I've done everything. So you already sort of almost like become uh, quote-unquote normal again. Like, yes. You felt like, I've done my time here, awesome, let's go back to quote-unquote normality. Yeah, and, and the other thing, the other major factor in that at the time was I was engaged um, to my now son's uh, mother and we were expecting a child. Um, so I was in Lithuania from May to um, September and in that time, uh, my then partner was was pregnant and we were expecting our son in the November and whilst I was out in Lithuania, um, I got a posting notice through from the Air Force to say, your time at Coningsby is up. You're now going to get posted to Aldergrave, which is in Northern Ireland. And I looked at that posting as a bit of a kick in the teeth because to me, it was a backwards move. Um, the photography side of it was non-existent, really. You were basically going to be sitting in a printing room, printing other people's pictures all day. That's not what I wanted to do. Uh, I especially didn't want to do it for two years and I especially didn't want to really miss the first two years of my son's life because my partner was never going to move to Northern Ireland nor would I have asked her to move. Yeah. Um, so it, it kind of was like a perfect storm of, of of things that were happening at that time. So I applied for a job whilst I was in Lithuania. I did the interview over Skype and everything like that, got the job whilst out there and then whilst I was out there, I clicked and was, that was me out of the Air Force. I was done. So I did sort of about four or five weeks once I got back from Lithuania and then I was out of the Air Force uh, and back into normal normal life if you like and how was that for you 
at the start this is one of the biggest things like of t- today's talk is this transition yeah. from um essentially being institutionalized because the interesting thing with you is that you didn't go straight in at 16 or 18 or no. whatever the age is like you actually had quote unquote mm. a normal sort of like being a, a commentator of football you kind of had some jobs you went in yeah. uh not straight out of it so yeah. you would assume that'd mm. be really easy for you like you were normal quote unquote you go into the army you yep. leave jobs are good in. but actually it wasn't quite that way for you was it no 100% like before I joined the air force I'd done uh, four years as a boat builder and carpenter uh, I'd followed my older brother into that job just because I didn't want to go to college didn't want to go to university um, I just wanted to earn money straight out of school so I'd had that job before so I knew what it was like to work in Civvy Street um, and even like even you saying that how was it for you that's given me goosebumps and chills now because I knew I know how how bad that road went um, but I, I, I got the job um I'd bought a house while I was, whilst I was out in Lithuania as well. So whilst being deployed out overseas, I was trying to look after a pregnant uh, fiancé. I was applying for a job. I was leaving the military and I bought a house uh, all in the space of like two months out of, you know, not even in the country. So yeah. it was a very stressful time. But once I came out, um, the initial kind of thing was okay. I felt I felt fine. Um, but I'll tell you the story of a guy who I worked with at, at RAF Cottesmore, my first ever post, and he was a guy called Mark Dixon. And he was an SAC, same as me, but he'd been in 12 years. And I remember we were we were walking to the, the mess one day, um, which is start where you eat on camp. And uh, I said, do you want to come to the mess? I'm going to go and get some lunch. And he said, absolutely not, not going. I said, the food's not that bad because mm-hmm. the whole thing is the food's bad and you have yeah. to pay for it. Yeah. But I said, the food's not that bad, we'll go. He goes, it's not, nothing to do with the food. He says, I will not eat at the mess because I don't want to become institutionalized. And I laughed at the time. I was like, ah. What, what do you mean you don't want to become it's just eating in the mess it's like it's nothing he goes no no seriously I don't do anything like that I try and keep as normal as possible so I don't want to become institutionalised and I kind of just brushed that off and just thought what a nonsensical thing to say I mean it's just eating in the mess but little did I know how much of an impact that would have on me leaving so I say my son arrived in November I had the job I was commuting about an hour there and an hour back so it's about a two hour commute every day to my job um, new house and within probably about three or four months that's when it started to really sort of hit on me um, I bought this book in today which is by uh, Jason Fox who's in the uh, SAS Who Dares Wins his ex-special forces and there's a, there's a part in that book which I read recently and I suggest anybody who is suffering with mental issues read this book it's a really good book um, talks about his struggles with PTSD but there's a line in there about going to a dentist and booking a dentist appointment, which in the military you get for free and you kind of get told to do it and you just book it and you go. Nice and easy. I remember the first time I had to do it and it really flipped me out. It Like having to find a dentist, having to register at a dentist, having to then make the appointment, having to wait six months potentially for that appointment, then having to go, then having to pay for it. Uh, and it seems like such a simple thing to do but it re- I really, really struggled with those very basic things that you do. The other thing I struggled with was the feeling of be- being a nobody. So everyone says when you're in the military, are oh, you just a number? And I kind of get that, but at the same time, it's it's you don't feel like that. When you're in the military, you feel like you're somebody. You walk around with your head's held high. You are... You are part of a bigger thing that is so important. You want, you, you know, you see the army, the navy, the air force. They're on the news quite regularly about the things that they do, and you feel part of that. You're like, I'm, yeah, I'm part of that. Whether you directly involved in it or not, you feel like you are part of that. So when you like see, camaraderie sort of stuff, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you say that that's our boys doing that. That's some of our mates doing that. And everybody takes the piss out of each other. The air force will take the piss out of the army, the navy, and vice versa, and everything like that. 
but that you do feel part of the bigger thing. When I left, um, I felt like I was just nobody. I felt like I was starting at the, even though I was getting paid more than I'd ever been paid before in my life. I was in a really good job. Um, I was doing things that were, you know, quite, quite, um, quite involved and there was quite a bit of esteem involved with it. And, but I just felt like an absolute nobody and I didn't know where I stood. So you have that hierarchical system in, in, in the military, you have the rank structure. So you know who to go to, you know, who your chain of command is, you know, who you line out, you know, who's in charge and you don't, obviously blindly follow we're not all drones and just sit there and follow you can have that back and forth and you you know if someone says you're going to go and do that and you don't agree with it you can go i don't agree with that but at least you know where you stand on cv street i didn't know where i stood. I know who my boss was but there were three or four other people who were involved who were stabbing me in the back and or like pushing me aside or trying to jump over me that's the other thing there's people who are blindly trying to jump over you to get to where they want to be and they will happily step on you as they walk past you i'd never had that before never had that before and I didn't feel like I could trust anybody um, I didn't know who I could talk to about a problem because I felt like if I talk to somebody about a problem I don't know where that's going to go mm. um, I don't know who's going to say something behind my back I don't know for example the first job I had out of the military I was the media and press officer for the Church of England at the Diocese of Lincoln I'm not religious um, but I took that job because one, I searched up on um, Indeed for photographer jobs and it was one of the first ones that came up. So I was like, okay, there's photography involved. Boom, I'll do that. Um, And I said in my interview at the time that um, I wanted to help and push the church forward and try and engage younger people. And I did all sorts of stuff for them. So um, I organized, I don't know, does anyone remember the app Periscope? So it was like the first live streaming app. Yeah. Yeah, Periscope. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah Periscope. Yeah, yeah, so it was linked that. through yeah, Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it just... It was pretty cool, didn't it? Like yeah, the, yeah. Instagram now got it for Instagram Lives. But they, yeah. they were the first ones, essentially. That was the the very first one, Instagram, yeah. Instagram launched their live. That's right. crush it. Yeah, yeah. 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 So it, it doesn't exist anymore. Or no. uh, it was bought out. And um, at the time, I was doing a story about uh, local churches who were putting Wi-Fi masks on the top of the buildings to give local um, communities... Um, Wi-Fi, high-speed broadband. And I thought, well, we can link that with this Periscope thing and we'll live stream a small community church service on a Sunday. And it went global. Like it was People all over the world were watching it. It made national news, like Telegraph picked it up and BBC picked it up and things like that. So I did all these great things for them. And um, we had we got call, all called in for a meeting one day about um, communication and the communication issues. And um, the way the, the business was set up, because it was a business, is you had the lowest people were sat literally on the bottom floor of the building. Middle management was sat literally on the middle floor of the building and the top brass sat at the top floor of the building. And the communication between the bottom two was fine, but the communication from the top down or the top up was terrible. And everybody, this was supposed to be mandatory training for everybody. And I remember sitting in there and I looked through the call sheet and I was like, hang on a minute, there's nobody from the top floor on this list. Why is there nobody from the top floor? So I'll hold that in my pocket and if the questions come up, I'll I'll ask a question. It was done by this lawyer and she said, whatever happens in this room stays in this room, blah, 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 blah. I was like, okay, cool. And uh, the questions bit came up and I said, yeah, I've got a question. Um, You said this is mandatory for everybody. Why is there nobody from the top floor on this list? Oh, well, they're very busy. I said, well... I'm very busy. (laughs) I've taken two hours out of my day to do this. I've got articles to write. I've got places to be. I said that I can't argue that anybody in this room is not busy. We've all got jobs. This is two hours out of our day that we, you know, we've now got to wait behind an extra two hours to make up that time. I said, we're all busy. I said, if you look, actually look at it, the communication between all of us in this room is fine. We're all sat here fine. We can all talk to each other. We can all communicate. The communication problems is to the top. I said, so really the people who should be in here are those people and we should all be sat in here together talking it out. And nobody said a word. And everyone was looking at me like quite sheepish, going, oh my God, what's he saying? 
Um, and after the meeting had finished, everyone came up to me and like, oh, thank you. you well done for saying that. We were all thinking it. It took someone to say it. I was like, well, why didn't you? Why, why didn't you why, me up? Yeah, why yeah. does nobody say it? What you yeah. know, with us in the military, you say that. You know, you're not going to lose your job for it. Yeah, you might get chewed out for it for talking to somebody out of turn. But if you've got a problem, you say, I've got an issue with this. Um, and literally, probably about three to three weeks to a month later, I got called in and told that I was losing my job. That was me done. And they said, oh, we just don't think you're taking it in the right direction. I was like, well, that's funny because you employed me on the the idea of doing this. I've done all this. I had all the evidence to say, I've done this, 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 and this for you. I said, has it got anything to do with this with this meeting a month ago? And they went, oh, no, don't worry about that. It's got nothing to do with that. I was like, bullshit. Okay, yeah, Absolute yeah. bullshit. It's got, don't tell me it's got nothing to do with that. And I had my leave and drinks and everything. I had a leave and thing. And there were people in there crying, in that room crying when I was leaving. I was like, well, I've only been here a year. I've not made that much of an impact. And they weren't crying necessarily because I was leaving. They were crying at the fact that somebody had spoken up and, and that's, that is the result of speaking up. In, but but, in the, but the problem is though, with stuff like that, what they would have failed to realise is that it was more of them yeah, the, the more and more of you lot than it was of them. Yeah, yeah. So if they'd all spoken up, what are they can do? Fire everyone. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's that yeah. was. I was like, if if you don't speak up, it's just going to stay the same. Yeah. So losing that job was the first in a number of failures. So 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 in, in in a in a timeline spectrum. Yeah, yeah. Was one of the first things that tripped you out. Yeah. The dentist. Thing. The dentist. So, was that quite so, so doing day to day tasks was. And, and how did it make you feel? So we, you said that you sort of head rolled a bit. Like, can you yeah. try and articulate because. Um, Obviously, we see movies about PTSD and stuff. Yeah. So people are going to think that maybe you were rocking in a corner or something. You may have been. Yeah. So can you just explain like stuff like going to the dentist, these mundane tasks? Yeah. How did it actually make you feel? So I'll just elaborate on that P- the PTSD point as well first. So the common misconception about when you, when you say there's there's a few common misconceptions about the military. So I said I was in the Air Force. The first thing people tend to ask me is, oh, you're a pilot. No, no. I was not a pilot. Never been a pilot. Um, there's more jobs in the Air Force than being a pilot. And when people go, you're in the Army, you go, oh, you're infantry. Do you? No, no. Again, it's mm-hmm. a very small part of being in that in that world. Um, and the other common misconception is when you say you've got mental health issues and you were in the military, oh, you must have seen some terrible things. No, I've, I've never been to combat. I've never seen a dead body. I've never seen anything like that. Um, so I wouldn't know what that is. I don't suffer from PTSD. Um, so people automatically assume you fit into that box. And it's not it's not the case at all. When I left... And I, I had to do those day-to-day tasks. I felt so lost and completely out of my depth that I felt like a complete failure. I'd gone through the military. I'd won awards on basic training. I'd won awards for my photography. I was highly revered in my job. Um, my parents were so proud of, because my dad being ex, ex Air Force and my mum loving that military life, they were so proud of what I was doing when I did that job. And I felt like I could walk into any room and go, I'm in the Air Force and I do this and this is the cool shit that I've done. And then I came out and I felt if I walked into a room now, I can't, what am I supposed to say? I can't even fucking do a dental appointment. I can't, I don't know where to go to, to, to book a doctor's appointment. I don't know some of these basic things. I'm, I'm used to going to the mess to have my lunch. I, I've got now make sure that I've got enough groceries in. I've got a kid as well, so I've got to try and function all that in. And then I lost this job and I'd never been fired from anything in my life. And I was so used to success and I was so used to being somebody and I was like, ah, that's the, that's a failure. And at the time you're like, okay, I, I, was, I was okay losing that job. I didn't like the job anyway, so I'll just get another job and it'd be fine. I had the next job for about six weeks and I lost that job. 
what, what was the second job? So the second job was a, a, a company called Pushchair Expert. And um, I was doing, again, a media job for them. I was writing website reviews and things. And I did, there's videos of me on YouTube reviewing pushchairs. It was like Top Gear for pushchairs. Yeah, yeah. I know nothing about pushchairs, but I could talk and I could present. So they, they hired me on that basis. And again, it was a case of not knowing where I stood. I didn't know what I was doing. They wanted me to work 24, pretty much 24 hours a day because I was forever on my phone updating things and, and bits and pieces. But because I, I was so out of my depth and I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't really have kind of the support to kind of bring me on, do you know what I mean? So in the Air Force, if you're if you're struggling, they'll go, right, let's put you on this course. Let's give you this. Let's I'll help you with this bit. I'll guide you on this bit. Um but in, in Civil Street you don't get that because there are so many people who are out of a job and people vying for a job, they can just go, right, we'll just get rid of you, we'll get somebody else in. Yeah. So it's that so easy. I, I call it the uh, the Tinder culture. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, easy come, easy go. It's like you can just replace anything. It's just instant. Like you can order anything now. It's going to arrive next day on Amazon. Like it's people. Yeah. Uh, like I said, if you're coming in and you don't quite fit the mold, like you've said something that term. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, actually, right, we could actually just have a word with him. He's doing a really good job. Actually, yeah. you know what? We'll get rid of him. It's easy to do. Get someone else in to do the same thing, but they'll be quiet. Yeah. It's really easy to find what you want. If that makes sense, quite an easy yeah. Thing to do. And people say, "Oh, you're just a number in the military." I've never felt more of just a number than I was in in, in Civvy Street. It's like, well, you can go. We'll just get somebody else in. I don't really care. Um, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? But when you're talking, I find it very interesting that you're picking up on stuff that I talk about quite a bit, mm. but most people don't think is a thing. But when you come into it, you realise that like, people stab each other in the back. And I basically try and talk about like the, the golden rule of any religion mm. is treat the people how you want to be treated. Yeah, any yeah. single religion. Like, that is literally, if you break it down to its essence, that's essentially what it is. Yeah. And that's how it should be. People yeah, yeah. Helping other people, like you build each other. Like me and Mikey, like I said, although technically we do podcasts, yeah, yeah. Technically, we're yeah. rivals. We're not at all. We literally yeah. have conversation. Literally, we had a conversation about it yesterday after we recorded the podcast. Yeah. And he asked me about my advice on something. I give it to him. Vice yeah. versa, because if he gets better, I get better. If I get better, he gets better. Yeah. It's how it should work. It's how the world works. Yeah. But again, yeah. most people are so out for themselves. Yeah. And they don't realise that actually what it does to other people if that makes sense yeah yeah um, yeah so I, I, again it's something that a lot of people don't think really notice but it's interesting that you came back into it yeah. and noticed it I mean one of my heroes is uh, we were talking about Band of Brothers before this one of my heroes is Dick Winters and he I've read his book his, his memoir is brilliant and the fact he, as a leader he doesn't think he knows everything he knows he, he has uh, knowledge gaps and he surrounds himself by people who will help him to, to move everything forward. If you just think I'm the best at everything, you're going to push forward. Yeah, you might get your promotion and everything like that, but you're going to alienate so many people. Whereas for me, I would rather go, right, I don't know how to do this. You know how to do it though. So I'll stick with you. You, you can teach me how to do this and I'll teach you how to do that. And we'll bring each other up. We'll all move together. Because at the end of the day, we have to work as a team to move forward. Um, and that's what I wasn't getting in the military, outside of the military. I wasn't getting that at all. It was a case of, well, I need to get this promotion. So if I have to push somebody else out of the way, or if, or if I can pin the blame on somebody else, I'll pin the blame on somebody else. Isn't it bizarre, though? If that, if that person actually had the other mentality yeah, yeah. and raised everyone else around them, yeah. they would have got the promotion. Yeah. Because the, the people at the top would have noticed, well, actually, everyone Dan's around seems to be doing loads better. Yeah, yeah, and like, yeah. Everyone speaks so highly of this Dan. Yeah. Everyone respects Dan. Everyone does this with Dan. Everyone goes to Dan. Dan, you need a promotion, mate. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's like, Ex- it, that's how it should be rather than throwing people under the bus. Yeah. It's like, actually, if people, if you're helping people out like that and you get the promotion, no one's going to begrudge you because, like, well, actually, yeah, well, yeah, Dan has actually really helped me out. Yeah. People don't understand that. And it's really interesting you say that because I've not heard of that, that gentleman that you spoke about. I know you said about Band of Brothers, but I'm not yeah. sure who that gentleman is. So he's the lead character in that. Oh, is that who he is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so amazing. Major Dick Winters. Yeah, yeah. Major um, Dick Winters. Yeah. So for me, it's understanding that actually, uh, in any business, mm. I, know my, I know my weakness. Yeah, yeah. That's what I've got my key. Yeah, exactly. That's what I've got my accountant. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I've got people around me. So I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. Yeah. Hence my VA. All these people, mm-hmm. I know my flaws. I know what I'm good at. So I'm going to throw all my time, energy, and effort into that. Yeah. And then other people are going to help me 
level up because again i'll throw courses to them i'll help them out like me and mike spoke i get a camera all these things like what do you need yeah and i'll help you yeah, yeah. The conversation and that's how it should be and people bring each other up yeah and that's how successful things work but it's interesting that obviously you've clearly had bad experiences yeah 100 percent. i mean so so i lost that second job just before christmas 2015 um and to be fair the company were very good to me and they said we'll pay you an extra month's wages so you you're, you're okay for christmas because they, they understood i had a child and everything like that well, that's, so, that's fair play yeah, that, yeah so fair play yeah. to them I, I was very appreciative of that and then I was unemployed for about a month. The only time in my life, apart from when COVID hit uh, last, in 2020, last year, um, that's the only time I've ever been unemployed. And, um, and then I got a job at Butlins in Skegness running the photo studio there. Uh, and it was a massive pay cut, huge, huge pay cut. So I know I was, was going to be working extra hours to kind of make up that, that floor and that loss of money. Um, and that's also when my relationship started to become strained. Um, with my partner so max was coming up to two years old my son and um i just didn't we just didn't sort of fit in the same mold as we did before so i'm I've, i'm quite adventurous i like to go out and travel and things like that she wasn't kind of into that thing which is fine because i was so used to being in the military where i could go and do at i could go and do my adventurous training i could go to austria or germany or wherever and go skiing or snowboarding or bobsleigh or luge or walking or hiking or whatever i would get my travel fix from doing that um but once I left, I didn't have the money in my pocket to go abroad for one, and um, nobody wanted to come with me. So we just kind of felt, we kind of drifted apart. And at the time, it was it felt like the right thing, and obviously now it's, it still is the right thing. But it took about a month after we broke up, and then I really started to to, to fall off off the off the radar because I was working six days a week. Um, I was seeing my son one day a week, uh, and when I was seeing my son, it wasn't I wasn't being a dad to him. I was being a babysitter because I was so tired. Um, he would just come around my house and we would just sit and chill and watch TV because I just ha- didn't have the energy to do anything else because I'd been working so much. And on my mind, I was thinking, I've got to go back to work tomorrow because I was managing this thing. I had to forever be like, I need to make sure I've got this done. I need to make so sure you I've got that done. Present at all. So I was not present. I wasn't a dad to him whatsoever in that, in that, in that time. We did some cool stuff together and, we, and there were times when we were able to go out and do stuff. But the majority of the time, it was literally, I'm just so tired. We're just going to sit down and chill. Um, and I just, I looked at my life at that point. So around about 2016, 2017, I looked at my life at that point. I thought, what the fuck has happened here? What is happening here? I've gone from being somebody, from being successful, from being a name to being at the bottom of the barrel. Nobody knows who I am anymore. Um, I've got a job where I'm barely making ends meet. And I, I still had, because we bought a house together, I still had the house and that was draining me financially. I was falling deeper and deeper and deeper into debt. And from going from up to the age of 25, 26, never really having a failure in my life, always hitting those goals that we spoke about. Yeah. So I said about, and I always hit those goals to not having any goals anymore because I didn't know what to have a goal for because it felt pointless because I was never going to be able to reach those goals. And I could see... Um, I could see the disappointment in my in my parents' like eyes when I would go around and I'd be like, I've, I'm still at Butlins. I'm hemorrhaging money. Um, I can't make ends meet. Um, I'm not a very good dad anymore. Um, and I don't I don't have a support network. I didn't I, I didn't know what to do because I didn't. The other thing as well, like all men, um, really, we kind of clam up. Mm-hmm. So at work, I, I came across as this yep. bubbly putting guy on, and I was like, yeah, yep, yep. I came across as this really happy bubbly guy and I would spend every hour I could at work. But after work finished, I would come home and I would sit in my driveway for two hours at times, just in the car. 
I did not want to go in the house because that house held so many bad memories for me. And I just thought, I'm just going to sit in this car. And while I was in this car, I was like, I could stick a, a, a hose on the exhaust now and I could, I could kill myself in this car in the two hours. And I would just sit here and I will just fade out. And that was the first time really around about 2017 I started thinking, I'm, I'm going to kill myself because what have I got to live for? I'm, I'm massively in debt. My son won't miss me because I'm not a dad to him. Um, my parents are disappointed. This is how I felt. My parents yeah, are disappointed yeah. in me um, because I'm, I'm failing constantly. Um, my military guys, I still spoke to, I've, st- I've got some great friends who I had from the Air Force first time around who I still speak to today. I was like, well, they won't really miss me because I've become a burden on them because I'm forever failing and I'm kind of going to them going, I'm shit, I'm, I'm fucked up. So I just I was just sinking deeper and deeper. Uh, and sometimes I would just sit and cry for an hour um, and I, I never used to cry really. Um, and I would sit in my room, in, I'd go into the house and I'd go from sitting in the car for two hours, I'd go and sit in, in front of the TV. TV wouldn't be on, I'd just sit on the sofa yeah, yeah. and I'd just sit there for an hour, an hour and a half, two hours. And um, Scrolling? No, not even, just sit there sit. numb. Completely numb. No feeling whatsoever. It's the, it's it's so hard to describe not feeling anything. Oh, I think Mike is nodding his head. Yeah. Mike knows it, I know it. And the people listen to this. Yeah. Like, yeah, if you, if you know it, you know. Because um, pe- people go, oh, you're depressed, you must feel sad. You don't feel, no. I don't feel anything. I don't feel fuck all. I just feel like I'm, I feel literally like a lump of meat sat in a chair and that I, I don't feel like anybody. Drained as well. Yeah. It's like you said, because you can function. Like It's like a functioning depressant, which yeah, is what yeah. I basically said that I was. I basically had the ability to go and have sex with people yeah, to yeah. feel something. Yeah, yeah. And that was pretty much it. Yeah. But then after that, nothing. Yeah. And it's like you had the ability to go to work, put that mask on. Yeah. But as soon as that mask's off, yeah. nothing. It's yeah. Just an empty, drained. Uh, it's hard, isn't it, when you try and explain because... It's first of all hard. I can see when you're talking about it. When yeah. you go back there and put yourself there, it's hard to go back there. Yeah, yeah. And you don't really want to, but it's like trying to describe how it feels yeah. to feel that way. Yeah. It is literally indescribable. You just yeah. don't feel alive. No. You, you, you are, but you're not, and you don't like recognize yourself. And no. You're so, when you look back retrospectively, you're so inside your own head. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it's just a, a constant cycle of negativity. Yeah. I'm so shit, I'm this, I'm that. Yeah. And there's just nothing. No. At all. No. Uh, so at one point I had to, I mean, the, the debt got so bad for me that I, I remember walking into the shop at work to try and buy, just buy a, a 50p cup of tea and my card got declined. I had no money. I had literally nothing. And I was like, I am, this is it. I am at the bottom. And I had to um, try and sort that out. But I, I remember sitting, one day it got particularly bad and I thought, today I'm going to do it. Today I'm going to kill myself today, and I, I was going to take a walk. My plan I didn't know. How, I didn't know how I wanted to do it. Had this been numerous thoughts? I'd so had what, like, this. This had been going on for a yeah, long time, yeah. and I thought a different. Was like I said, the, the first time was in the car. I thought about hanging myself. Um, I thought about maybe if I'll just I'll just take a ton of sleeping pills and just hopefully I'll just fade off. Um, but I came up with an idea. I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll I'll I'm going to go and jump in front of a car. That's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to go because my thinking was that'll be quick. I'll jump in front of a car and that'll be it. And I don't know what made me do it, but before I went, I picked up off the table one of my son's toy cars and I put it in my pocket and I just kept playing with it and I was just playing with it and playing with it. And I walked. I remember I remember this walk and I'll never forget this walk. I walked out of my house. I walked round the corner and I walked up the street and on the right-hand side about 
500, 600 metres up that street. On the right-hand side, there was a fire station and there was also um, the ambulance station where the ambulances got, got called out from. And I was going to walk up to the end of the street and I was just going to throw myself in front of a car. And I kept playing. And I got to the point and I was like, I kept playing with it. And I was like, do I do this? And my son's car was like reminding me that I have a son. I have a son. Do I really want to do this? Do I really want to do this? So I was still kind of toying with it at that point. And then this ambulance pulled in. And I just walked over to the ambulance and they could see I was upset. I'd been crying. And the guy stepped out of the ambulance. didn't know who this bloke was. And I just started crying. And he went, are you all right? And I like, not like a little sort of, I was, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't talk. I was crying that hard that I was just an absolute mess. And he went, are you all right? And I managed to spurt out. And all I said was, can I please just have a hug? That's all I want is just someone to give me a hug because I feel fucking shit. Um, and he came up and he hugged me for about a good two minutes and I just completely outpoured to him for two minutes and he sat me in the back of the ambulance and did all this stuff and um, he referred me then to, to the doctor he said you need to go see a doctor um, because this is not normal and I went fine and I went to the doctor about two days later and he prescribed me antidepressants he sat down and he said yeah you've definitely got depression you're feeling this and I thought, okay, that's it. Sorted. I'll get these antidepressants and I'll be fine. Can I just, before we go down the antidepressant route? Yeah. How did it feel when you were hugging? Oh, can, I, you, can you describe that feeling of, but by the way, can I just say, you're getting me emotional. I, yeah. I am, you've got a very good way with words. Oh, thank and you. And when you're talking, <laughs> mm. I'm picturing you walking down this road. Mm. Uh, and I hope my audience is getting this. And like I said, if uh, I'm willing up what I'm talking about this because I... I can when you're talking, mm. I can feel what you're saying, yeah, and it's very very powerful. Yeah, um, oh, fucking hell. Um, yes, can you just describe how um, what it felt like to go from that moment where you were literally about to do it mm. to then the universe providing this gentleman and then to actually having that hug? Could you try and point to words how that felt for you? Um, relief more than anything else, because it literally felt like he'd saved my life at that point. Um, because I don't think retrospectively now I was 100% committed to killing myself at that point I think that's why I picked that toy car up to remind me that I've got a son shouldn't be doing this he will miss me and I was trying to convince myself of that but when it, God like when he hugged me like I had all this tension in my shoulders beforehand and I felt so sort of uptight and rigid and then he, he hugged me and I just literally just relaxed everything just it felt like everything had just drained out of my body um, it was kind of like Running, I, I don't like running. I'm running a lot at the minute, but like when you run, you feel sort of tense and you're up there. And then when you finish, you just kind of, and you flop down, don't you? That's what it felt like. It felt like someone had literally just squeezed all that shit out. And I was just relieved that somebody was just giving me something as simple as a hug. Because um, as a man, again, you don't tend to ask for that sort of thing. You don't go, I'm not going to go into work and go, mate, just give us a hug, will you? Um, but you could put, again, you probably could have got one off your mum if you'd asked. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I could, I, but again, I did because... Because they'd idolised me so much when I was in the Air Force, I, and because I was going through this shit time of failing, I I used to hate going to visit my parents at that point. Not oh, because mate, I didn't mate, like them, mate, I didn't love them. Uh, you, family events. Yeah, yeah. And again, talk about the debt. Yeah. I, I can remember, I think I spoke about it on this previous podcast, where I remember when I went out anywhere, yeah. I'd have to check ahead of time mm. what I was going to order to make sure I had enough money in my bank account. Yeah. And you go to family events, and because again, I've got three good brothers who are again all awesome. Yeah, yeah. And you sat there and I was like, oh, how's this? How's that? And literally, internally, I'm like, my life's a fucking shit show. Yeah. I've fucking got no fucking money. Yeah. I'm a fucking failure. I'm a disappointment. So I, I fully understand yeah. that feeling. It's just that complete sense of 
worthlessness. Yeah, and I, I and I just looked at them and I went, I'm so sorry. I, and in my head, I used to go, I'm so sorry for letting you down. I have let you down because the other the other thing I was dealing with, and this is, you know, I love my brothers to pieces. They're brilliant. My older brother works in Formula One. So that is a high-profile job, high-success job. He's doing really well. He works for Red Bull now. He's on the pit crew at Red Bull. Amazing. Uh, my younger brother, he just started uh, working for an architect company and he was doing really well. He was getting married. He'd bought his own house, stable as everything. And then there was me. And I'd gone from being kind of golden child in the middle, being in the Air Force, to being this guy who I felt like everyone was going to be talking behind my back going, what are we going to do about Dan? And my mum would literally yep. say that to me. She'd yep. go, what are we going to do about Dan? Yep. What are we going to do about, how are we going to help Dan? And then she'd talk to my brothers and go, what can we do to help Dan? Are you going to sort, sort your life out? Yeah, right? yeah. When are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? Yeah. When are you going to do that? When, what, what, what is it you want to do? And I was just like, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what I want to do. So I got, I got given, I got given the thing to go to the doctor and I went to see the doctor for the antidepressants. Um, how was the doctor? The doctor, to be fair to him, was good. He listened um, and I knew I was going to get the the prescription for antidepressants and I didn't want it really because that's the other thing that people don't realize is when you when you feel like that, people go, oh, I should go and talk to a therapist or you should go and talk to the doctor or whatever. But people don't realize you don't want help. You'll I used to sit there and people used to go, you can go and get help, you know, and I was like, ah, but I don't want help. I don't want, I don't want to burden anybody with my problems. I don't want to be helped. I just want to sit here and I just want to fade away. I just want nobody to know that I existed. I just want to fade out. Did, did you have a thing with sleeping? Because for uh, me, I just didn't want to wake up. So Jimmy said about when you sat there, yeah. mine was yeah. sleeping. Yeah, yeah. I, any opportunity I would sleep, and yeah. I would just pray that mm. I didn't wake up. Yeah, so I never, I never really had that. Um, for me, sleep was a, was, was a relief. And it's not that I never used to want to wake, but I would, I would wake up and I would just lay in bed and I'd go... What, what what am I going to do today? I'm not going to do anything today. Do I just, I'm just going to sit here all day. I, I used to wish that I wouldn't wake up. When I was yeah. dozing off, I was like, hopefully I won't wake up the time. Yeah, yeah. Because you just you just <sighs> want to disappear. Yeah. You just want you just want to just disappear and everyone will just go... Because my thought process was, if I died, my parents would kind of go, thank God for that. He's at least now, he's kind of... Um, he's The problem is gone. Yeah. You know, that's, that's how I saw it. That people would kind of go, oh, thank God for that thank god for that i haven't got to worry about that anymore he's gone um and i thought my son's young enough he's only two years old he won't really remember me it will be fine donna will find my partner would find somebody else he would then become the father figure role and i wouldn't have to worry about it that'd be that'd be it um i got the antidepressants i took one i only ever took one and i felt really sick and I remember speaking to a couple of other people who I worked with at the time who were also on antidepressants. I remember speaking to one girl in particular, and um, I said, "If it made me feel really sick, I don't feel, I don't feel right." And she goes, "Oh no, honestly, keep taking them, keep taking them, because you know they make you feel better." And then, um, if you, well, as soon as I come off them, I feel really shit again. And for me, my brain just went, "Well, hang on a minute. If you're taking them, you feel fine. You come off them, and you feel shit." That's not fixing the problem. That's covering the problem. So I don't want to cover the problem. What's the, I don't want to do that. If I'm going to do this, I want to fix the problem. And that was the first kind of realisation of that I wanted to fix it. Because I was thinking, if I'm just going to take something to hide it, that's not really the solution here. And I don't want to become addicted to something that I'm ultimately never going to be able to come off. And then my life is just going to be me taking pills, taking pills, taking pills to kind of numb the pain. I don't, that's not what I, I don't want that. So I, I just threw them away. I, I literally just chucked them. 
I flushed him down the toilet, got rid of him. I'd never, never took another one. And it was a probably about a month, three weeks to a month after that, that I'd reached my, I'd reached my limit. I remember I came home from work. So you were still, so after, just to fill in the blanks here, so you, you basically hit rock bottom. Yeah. Uh, you gone to doctors, took the antidepressants. Yeah. Made the decision, you actually kind of do want to be here. Yeah, yeah. Threw them away. Did yeah. you then carry on going downhill or would you, did you sort of like flatline? I, I kind of settled for a bit. I settled for a bit and I thought, okay, I could probably come out of this. Um, because the, the talk with the doctor made it feel like, it, it kind of normalized it a little bit for me. And I spoke, like I said, I was speaking to other people who were antidepressants. Yeah. So I thought, oh, okay, I'm not alone. Uh, maybe it's just a blip and I'll be fine. Because obviously I'd had the breakdown of my relationship. That was the first serious relationship I ever had. So I thought, it's probably just me getting over that. I'll be fine. But about three weeks later, I sank properly deep. Um, worse than before? Way, way worse than before. Way, way worse before. I had a. I came in from work. I opened the door. I walked into the kitchen. I remember looking at knives. And then I remember sitting down on the sofa. And I thought, I'm going to do it. And I went back out the door. I went to three supermarkets and bought as many high-powered pills as I could buy. I think I had about twelve boxes of pills, all told. And I thought I'm going to take, I'm going to take all of these, and I'm just going to, that's going to be it. And I sat there, and I opened them all up, and they all sat out on the table, uh, and I just started uncontrollably crying, Un- like again, like I did before with the paramedic. It was that sort of strong sort of sense of crying, and I put a message out to on my Facebook page again I think this is probably me trying to call for help but I didn't know how to do it but I put a message out on my Facebook page just going I'm so sorry I'm, this is me done I can't do it anymore I'm going to kill myself and those um, exact words it, it wasn't those words exactly did you say kill yourself um, I, I just said I'm going to end it all yeah. I'm, 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 I've said I'm done I'm, and I was crying I've said I'm really sorry um, but I can't do this anymore I'm going to end it and um, I sat there and I started taking the pills and I kept taking pill after pill after pill after pill and I just kept washing them down. And then um, I sat there and just, I kind of sat there and just waited for it to happen. I thought, because I'd, I'd never done it before, I just got sat there and thought it will just, it was all sort of, all of a sudden it'll just take over and I'll pass out and I'll, that'll be me done. And a guy came through my door because he'd seen the message and he came through my door and he'd seen all the pills. He said, how many have you taken? And I just went, as in he like kicked the door down? No, no, the door was open. Oh, okay. So he wa- he just walked in the yeah. door. I didn't even hear the door go. I just remember him, he walked in and he sat next to me and he put his arm around me because I was uncontrollably crying again. And he said, um, how many have you taken? And I just pointed and then he rang the ambulance. And I sat there and I remember saying to him, I said, he said, I, I asked him, am I going to die? And he's, yeah, he did, said he didn't know. I said, I want to die. Do you think I'm going to die? And then it it kind of gets a bit hazy after that. Then I remember two more people came into my house and they couldn't get an ambulance to me. So they said, you need to drive you to the hospital. So they drove me to the hospital and I cried all the way to the hospital. um, And I got to the hospital and I felt so like this when it started to kick in, I felt so ill. I was going to vomit. I felt really sick. And the nurse, bless her, she was really nice. She said, oh, you know, what's made you do this? What's made you do this? And I said, what's the point? Why I don't know why I'm here. What's the point? I said, I've got all this and all that. And she sort of sat there and she said, but you've got a boy, haven't you? I said, yeah, I've got a boy. She said, what do you think he's going to think if you if you kill yourself? I said, he's not going to remember me. He's not going to remember me. I said, I've, I don't spend hardly any time with him. 
Um, and when I do, what what what's he got to show for it? He's not going to remember me. And I remember sitting, and then they, they took me to a bed, and I, I laid on the bed, and I started vomiting and bringing some of the stuff back up, and I felt fucking awful. And then I fell asleep. And just before I fell asleep, I kind of was thinking, this is it. Because I, I started to feel drowsy and tired, and I was like, this is it. And I fell asleep. And, um, and then I woke up. And, <clears throat> and when I woke up, um, I remember sitting up in the bed and thinking... Like almost like pinching yourself, going, "Is this, you know, I'm, is this it? Am I dead?" And I woke up and I, I realised then I was alive. I was like, "Shit, I'm, I'm still here." And the nurse came around and she went, "Oh, how are you feeling? You all right?" And she was just, like bringing drinks around and stuff. Like she bought me some water and stuff. I was like, "Fucking hell!" And I kind of, I looked at my phone, took my phone out of my pocket, looked at my phone, and I had fucking loads of messages and I had missed calls and everything. And um, I sat there and I thought, "Fucking hell!" I'm so glad. I'm still alive. I'm so glad I'm still here. Um, and I phoned my mum and I explained to her what happened. And typical, my mum saw, she went, you fucking idiot, you stupid idiot. What on earth were you doing that for? I said, because I just wanted to die, mum. I said, I didn't I didn't want to be here anymore. She goes, you're, you're scaring me, you're scaring me. And I was like, and kind of, I know she was trying to support me, but it felt quite a selfish way to spin yeah. it she's like oh, you're scaring me you're scaring me you're scaring me I said what well, to be fair I've been terrified yeah. for the last three years yeah. I've I've spent the last three years of my life in fucking fear because I didn't know what was going to happen and I didn't want to be here and I've never been it's it's a scary thing to go through because you're like well what the f-, you know you want to die you shouldn't a human being should not want to die Um, but then at the same time it something just clicked in my head and I went, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to feel like this anymore. And I don't want to kill myself. I don't, I've got, I've got a lot to live for. And I looked through all the messages of people going, are you all right? Are you okay? And blah, 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 blah. People I'd not spoke to for years had found out about what had happened. And they're like, you all right? You okay? Talk to us. Let us know what's happening. So I kind of messaged through and, and I sat there and I went, no, this is not right. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not going to, I'm going to sort my shit out. I'm going to get myself together. And I'm gonna I'm gonna fix myself. Um, and I got taken home um, by a friend, and he said, "Are you all right, mate?" He says, "Just if you, if that ever happens again, just talk to me." So, Do you know what? I will. I said, "If I ever feel shit again, I promise you, I'll make a promise to you right now. If I ever feel shit again, you're the first person I'll speak to, and I'll tell you what's what's going on, and I'll because I'll, I'll, I don't want to do that ever again." And um, I got home and I phone, I messaged um, my son's mum, told her what had happened. And she was like, well, why did you do that for? You've got Max, you've got all this, blah, blah, blah. And I just, again, I said, I did it because of this. I did it because I didn't feel like it was, but now I realise that that was, that was a stupid thing to do and I don't, I don't ever want to do that again. And I made that decision right there and then that I wasn't going to do it again. Um, and I felt so relieved that I hadn't killed myself. Um, and it was from then I took a really drastic decision. I was like, right, I'm going to sell my house because so I, I, I kind of went home and I made a list of things that made me feel like shit. I said, "What's what is it that's the anchor that's dragging me down? Why do I feel like this?" Is this I, just for time frame again. For yeah, people, is this literally almost as soon as you got home? Literally, you, you as got, soon got as home I got home, like it was. It was almost like that. You woke up. Yeah. Again, just I just want when you thought um, mm. when you drowsed off. Yeah. Were you grateful? Were you like, "Oh, I'm going to die happy," or were you scared? It was. Uh, you I was terrified. Yeah. 
But, I was but, absolutely terrified. But were you content like, this is what I want to do? I, uh, yeah, so... You, like, did you really pass out at that time before you woke up? Yeah, I was like, this is it. And it was kind of like when you... you it's, it's a weird experience, a weird thing to explain, but I, I was terrified. I was shitting myself. But at the same time, I was like, but this is what I want. Yeah. So I was kind of like willing it to happen, but at the same time, I was I was terrified. And then I did, like I said, when I drifted off, that was it. And then you woke up, were you but, then mad? I was so pissed at myself. So pissed. Well, it, oh, it, yourself, it took a while. The fact you'd woken up. No, no, I was pissed at myself. So I woke, I woke up, and it took me, it took me a while to realise that I was still there. And then I felt again, I felt like numb for a little bit, and I still felt sh- like shit because obviously the pills were still running around in my stomach, and I was still feeling sick and still being sick. But about sort of half an hour after, that's when I started to feel angry at myself. I was like, "What the fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing?" I think this is kind of where the military side of me kicked back in. Yeah. It was like that. Ah, Fucking get a grip. Get a grip. What are you doing? Because then, like I said, that's when thoughts of my son started coming back yep. to me. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, when I got home, I literally got home and went, right, what is it that's, that is dragging me down? It was things like the house. I don't need the house. I don't like being in it. It's too big for me. It's got holes, too many memories. Um, it's It needs to go. What else is fucking me over? My job. Right, okay, well, let's get a new job. Let's figure out what it is I want to do. Let's actually have some drive. Let's kick ourselves up the arse and let's see what it is that really wants me to... To, to move forward what is it that's going to bring me out because that was the other thing I was in a job that wasn't going anywhere I wasn't going to get promoted um, so I was like I need to figure out what it is I want to do and spending time with my son I'm not spending enough time with my son that also is bringing me down and um, and living where I lived um, so not just the house but the actual area yep. I felt so isolated living in Skegness I, was, I felt so cut off from the world living out there so I was like right that's, that's what they're the three things that I'm going to fix so how do I go about fixing them so I took a really drastic decision and I sold everything, pretty much everything I owned, and I went to Australia for a year. I was like, I'm going to go and do a working holiday in Australia because I've not travelled for years. Um, I can sell everything and I can just go and I can just cut because the the other issue was the pressure I was feeling mm-hmm. from my parents, from other people who were going, like you said earlier, what are you going to do? How are you going to fix this? From them, I know they were trying to help, but when you're in that mindset, and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And you've got constantly people. It's like being a nail and someone hammering you constantly. Mm-hmm. And all it does, rather than bring you up, is it pushes you down deeper because it makes you feel more of a failure and more like shit. Mm. And you just keep... There's a way of going about it, isn't there? Yeah, there it's is. Like you, if you're going to ask what you're going to do, mm. you then have to sit down with that person and actually help them come up with something to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's like you can't just be like, what are you going to do? I don't know. Well, that's yeah. not good enough. And yeah. then you, do, you then have to have the ability to then sit down with them and meet them on their level. Again, we did a podcast about this uh, thing a couple of days ago. You've got to meet that person on that level where they're at. Yeah. Like you're here and you're like, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? That person's not ready to hear that. You've yeah, got to yeah. go down to the level wherever they are. Mm. And again, simple as what in your life makes you happy? Yeah, What's yeah. not making you happy? Just strip it down to basics on that sort of basic level and then work from there. Do you know what I mean? Don't try yeah. and go a million miles an hour. Just strip it back, meet them where they're at yeah. and then slowly build it back up. And I think that's the biggest problem when it comes to mental health. Yeah. People don't know how to talk to people with mental health. No. People think, people just assume when you're, you're just sad. People just assume you're sad. And they go, what's upset? What, what, what is just it Just be happy. Upset? Just be yeah. happy. <laughs> you just need to cheer up. You, why don't you do this? this? This makes you happy. But it doesn't make you happy. You can sit there and go, well, what makes me happy? I'll go in for walks uh, or like say skiing or playing football makes me happy. But when you feel like that, playing football doesn't even make you happy because you don't realise what it is, the other elements of it that are bringing if you anything, down. If anything, it'll make you worse. Yeah, yeah. If you go there and you make bad tackle, you fucking shit bastard, you're so shit, you let yeah. the whole team down and then have a narrative about why you're so shit at football. Yeah. And that's it. It's just like just normal things. Yeah, just, yeah. Yeah. 
I like like holding down relationships and having girlfriends and things like that were near impossible for me. And that was the other bit of pressure because obviously my brother, my younger brother was getting married. My older brother had two kids and, you know, had a long-term relationship and I'd had two relationships that had fallen apart. And they were like, well, why didn't, you know, you just need a girlfriend. Once you get a girlfriend, it'd be fine. I was like, oh, well, I, I can't even look after myself, let alone even entertain the fact of having somebody else And you in. didn't love yourself. No, just no. what I said. My yeah. biggest thing was like, I had no problem meeting females. Yeah. And having sex with females. Yeah. The problem was, these people were, some of them were amazing. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. were giving me so much love. The problem was, I didn't love myself. No, no. And if you don't love yourself, you can't receive that love. No. You could have the most perfect person ever there giving you the world. And I did have some amazing people in my life. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't love myself. No. So you just shut it off. No. You just don't accept it. So like, oh, just get a girlfriend. It's not quite that simple. Because no, no. I don't, I can't, I don't love myself. Why no. would I, what, who would love this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then someone's trying to give it you and you just can't accept it. And again, looking back now retrospectively, I've, I've made, I've said a, a, a lot of apologies to some of these women in that, at that time in my life because they gave me everything. Mm. And it's like, but you can't receive it because yeah. you think so badly of yourself. Mm. You're like, what is this person doing wasting their time with me? Yeah. And it's, sorry, I didn't interrupt you there, but no, it's, no, such, it's such no, a powerful course. thing when it comes to relationships or business. Like, yeah. it's just that whole self-love. It's like, and people just don't understand it. It's like, you just don't yeah. love yourself at all. And my biggest fear was failure. Yeah. So all I was thinking of, I'll get into another relationship. This relationship will break down. That will make me feel worse because I've lost somebody else. But also that will be another failure to put onto the list. And I was just forever just ticking off failures. So yeah, I made that decision to to go to Australia for a year. And everyone was kind of going, what about your son? What about your son? What about your son? And I, I factored that in. And at the start, we did sort of like WhatsApp calls and things like that. And it, it didn't really work because he was still quite young and he kind of would walk away. And, <laughs> but then I, I, I made the best purchase of my life was a Nintendo Switch Lite because he had a Nintendo Switch at home. And I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy one of them and we'll play Fortnite online together. And we'd spend hours playing that and he would talk to me and that was the only way we would gauge it because he, oh, he's only mate, a kid. He, and like, we would sit there for hours playing it and he would tell me all about his day. He would tell me about school. He would tell me about friends and stuff like that and he'd be excited to talk to me. Whereas before, he was like, oh, I've got to talk to daddy. Yeah, 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 blah, blah, blah. Put the phone down at my mate's here. I need to go and do that or I want to go and do this. But when we were playing Fortnite, he would ring me up and go, are you coming on? Are you coming on? Are you Mate, coming that on? Yeah. Giving me goosebumps. That was mint. It was, and it's <laughs> still today, we still do it. We still do it today. I've got, I bought him an Xbox. How old is he now? So he's seven now. He's just turned seven. I bet he's better than you. Oh, he's, he's, <laughs> um, he carries me every single time we play. He's awesome. Um, but we still do that now. And like, he's just ring me because they've just released a new thing for Fortnite and rang me when I was at work. Daddy, daddy, they've done this. They've done this. I can't wait to play with you. Awesome. Brilliant. And we like my brother's play. So we all play as a family. That's our family game night. Is we all play as a family on Xbox. We can all talk to each other. We all share experiences and stuff like that. We have a great time in that. Do you, so, know, do you know all the bad press that like, stuff oh, like yeah. that gets? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mate, that is absolutely... I love computer games. Yeah, that, yeah. Like, that is phenomenal. Yeah. It's, that is absolutely it, phenomenal. Honestly, I... The best purchase I've ever made in my life was that Nintendo Switch Lite. Amazing thing. Um, and we would sp- we would make time to, to play with each other and all that sort of thing. And that really helped our relationship grow because rather than me, even though I wasn't physically there, even when I was physically there before, because I was working so much, I wasn't being a dad to him. I was being a babysitter, a glorified babysitter. Cool, but now you also went dad as well. You're also being his mate. Yeah, yeah. And so he would... crossed the boundary. He, like Donna would tell me that he's, he, he had a globe by his bed and he'd, go, he'd point to Australia every night and go, daddy's here, daddy's there. And he'd ring me and I'd send him pictures and he would send me mail and stuff like that. So our relationship actually over that year got a lot stronger. Oh, that's um, amazing. Even though I wasn't physically there mm-hmm. because we were able to talk a lot more and he, we were sharing stuff. And obviously when I came back, I made a promise to myself when I came back that... I am going to put him first rather than thinking about careers and jobs and things like that because I've never really been career driven per se. I've never wanted to be a CEO of a company or anything like that. It's never really interested me. I've just wanted a job that I think 
I well, that I know I enjoy, but you know pays the bills. Um, so I, I I prioritized when I came home that he was going to be the number one priority. Um, and it was whilst I was in Australia that I thought. What what make? Because I was I was loving life out there. It was great. I had a great time out there. But I was thinking when I come back, because this is going to end. And that's the other thing I realised is that things are finite. Nothing goes on forever. Whether it be a job or this feeling of of mental illness, I realised that this is not this is not a forever thing. This is a now thing. So what I need to do is plan for when this is over. And it's the same with Australia. I got I thought I've got six months left. This is going to end. So what am I going to do when this ends? Because the last thing I want to do is get back to the UK and just go straight back down a rabbit hole. So I thought, right, okay, what do I want to do? I want to put Max first. Uh, I know what I enjoy. I enjoy being outdoors. Um, I enjoyed my life in the military. What can I do? I'm going to go back in the military. Fuck it. I don't care if it's if people think it's a backward step or whatever. I am going to go and do what I know makes me happy and I know will help me um, do my goal of spending more time with my son. I thought I'm going to go back in the military. That's what I'm going to do. So I applied while I was out there. Um, I was like, that's that is my plan when I get home. Obviously, COVID hit, so that prolonged it a lot longer. Um, but yeah, I went back and joined the army, and I do something called MPGS, which is a security-based um, role. So you don't deploy, you don't ever go out of area. You get to choose where you live, um, and you can do it up to the age of sixty-five. And you get four days on, four days off, four nights on, four nights off. So I had so much spare time. So now I can go right. Um, when I have my son, I'm not just going to have him for one day. I'm going to have him for four days. And when I, in those four days, I'm going to do camping. We're going to go and see, we're going to go to the beach for walks. We're going to go and watch football games together. We're going to go do all these things together that I wasn't doing for him before. Because um, the thing I remember when I was a kid is not the toys I had, not the memory, not the um, the physical things, but it's the memories that mm. you remember, the holidays you had, mm. the trips you took out. I mean, one of my favorite. I mean, I've got a tattoo of it on my arm here. Is uh, is a Toy Story tattoo just there? Yes. And yeah. that, I got that tattoo purely because in um, I think it was early two thousands or was it nineties kind of time when Toy Story two came out. Anyway, Toy Story two came out, and it was a particularly wet summer, and it was a, one of the free games that you get in the cereal boxes. You remember, you used to get a free yeah, game yeah. in the cereal box, and we sat there. Me, my mum, and both my brothers used to sit there during the day playing this game. And although it was a small demo, we'd all take it in turns. I will. That was for me one of the best summers because we'd all sit round, all of us together, while it was pissing down outside. And we couldn't do anything, and we'd have a great laugh playing this game. And we'd find all the little secrets, and we'd go and do it all. And it doesn't matter how many times we played it; we always had fun doing it. And that's what stuck with me. It was a, it was a free game in a cereal box that we would play together. So I was thinking, it's not the fact that it was a three hundred pound console; or it was a twelve you know, 1200 pound trip abroad or anything like that. It was a very small, simple thing. And I remember that now. And that's, that's the kind of thing that I tell myself when, especially now Christmas is coming up. I don't focus on how expensive the gift is or how many gifts or it's when I get him that gift, how is he going to remember it? What's it going to help him grow? Do you know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not just going to go buy him a massive toy that he's going to have for two, two years or whatever, and then throw away this year. I'm getting him a compass. And I'm going to get him an, like an adventure pack. I hope he doesn't hear this before. Answer, it's Christmas. <laughs> but um, I'm getting him an adventure. I get Mikey to send him over a special. Yeah, like, yeah. Bleeps out one. Like, don't 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 watch this bit. But I'm getting him an adventure pack because I know he's going to carry that adventure pack around, and we're gonna I'm going to teach him to 
to Matt Breed. I'm going to teach him about the outdoors. Is it like an engraved compass or something like that? Uh, no, that... so it's not going to be an engraved one for now. I'm going to teach him, but when he when he starts to master it, I'm going to start getting him that, specialized, yeah, 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 specialized yeah, yeah, kit. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So this is like his first compass then? Yeah, so this will oh, be his yeah, first yeah. one. Awesome. And then it'll be a case of um, like getting, a, I've, I've even got him just a small bit of string. So we're going to, like, I'm going to teach him to tie knots and things like that. And so he can be outside building dens and whatever and doing that, all that cool stuff. And that's kind of where my mind is now at rather than just thinking I'm a bad dad because I can't afford this. I'm a bad dad because I don't do this. I'm a bad dad. I think of, okay, what makes a good role model, not a good dad. What makes a good role model for my son? Making a good role model is somebody who will pick him up when he's sort of feeling down, someone who will lead him through his life, someone who will give him experiences and skills that will help him in the future. Me just buying him loads of stuff isn't going to help anything. Mm. It's the same, like one of the most freeing experiences I have was when I sold all my stuff for Australia. I felt so tied down mentally and physically by all the belongings I had, the house, the car, everything like that. That was negative to me. So much so that I'm not interested in buying a house. I live in the block at the minute. And a lot of people think, well, 33-year-old man living in the block, what are you doing that for? Well, actually, that suits me because I don't like the fact of having a house on my own. I don't need all that space. I just need a kitchen, somewhere to shit and somewhere to sleep. That's all I need. That's all I need to be happy because I don't spend my time in there anyway. I'm always out and about because I've realized that, especially when I, that, that six years where I lived in that house, fucked me over. Yeah. It really, really fucked me over. And I don't have a fear of houses, but the thought of me going back into a house long term or buying a house and, and living in something where I'm on my own and I don't need all that space and you feel you feel a drive to fill the space like you're like I've got just things yeah, yeah I just yeah. need to fill it with things and all those things do is they just they just weigh you down they just tie you down it's something else to to anchor you to a place whereas I'm I, I don't like to be anchored to somewhere I like to be going right what can I, I can put my backpack on I can go mm. um so now I'm in the military again I'm in the army again um I feel that freedom again, even though you people think, oh, you're in the military, you, you're tied down. Absolutely not. I feel more free now than I ever have done. I think it's giving you now, the way you are now, it gives you good because you're now half and half. Mm. So you're half civilian, half military. Yeah. So you can actually then get yourself back into going to a dentist, for example, yeah. if you want to. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to buy your own groceries or whatever. Yeah. It's like you can, you now understand how the game works. Yeah. And you're in there for a different reason yeah. than you were before, if that makes sense. So rather than being a backward step of, oh, no, I'm doing it because I'm afraid of real life. It's like, well, actually, no, I, I, I actually like this lifestyle. Yeah. Half and half. So then you are, you can do both. That makes yeah. Sense the best I mean, life. for me, it was, my dad um, told me when I was going through, because I, I remember sitting at the dining room table at my parents' house and again, just having a crying fit and not being able to enunciate or talk or articulate anything I was feeling. And he got angry. He got really wound up at the fact that I couldn't tell him what was wrong. Um, and when I'd finally calmed down, he said, you need to find a coping mechanism. And at the time I was like, oh, fuck off. Do you know what I mean? I don't know what you know. If I could find a coping mechanism, I would do it. So just fuck off. Um, but now looking back at it, my dad... As much as it pains me to say, he's always right. He, he, although he's never been through it himself, or that I know of, finding a way to cope—not necessarily fix, but to have something that you can go right. I mean, if you look at Johnny Wilkinson before he takes a kick, he does that thing with his hands. That is a way of him focusing his mind. It's not; it doesn't help him kick the ball. That is a thing where he can go. If I do this, that focuses my mind on the task at hand, and finding something like that to help you through your mental health struggles really does help. Like now, like I said earlier, I'm not completely fixed. I'm not 100%. I'm not like, oh, I'm totally over it. There are still days now where I feel 
absolute baggage. However, what I can do now is I can go, right, okay, I know this isn't going to last forever, but what I am going to do is I'm going to accept these feelings. I'm going to accept how shit I feel. I'm going to allow it to, to, to come in. I'm going to feel bad, but then I know tomorrow I'm going to be okay because I've accepted those feelings. Rather than try and suppress them or anything like that or push them away or try and hide from them, go, yeah, okay, why am I feeling like this? I feel like this because of this. Okay, so I'm going to fix it. How am I going to fix it? Well, I'm going to fix it by doing this or this or whatever. Because it's okay to feel shit. Yep. It's okay to feel bad. Everybody feels sad. Um, I saw a great quote from somebody the other day saying that um, when you cut yourself or you have an injury physically, the pain rushes to that area and that is your brain telling you that there's a problem. And that's so say you cut your hand, the pain will be in your hand. That's your brain going, you've got a problem with your hand, you need to fix this. It's the same with depression. You're feeling... Um, the reason you're feeling bad is because something mentally needs fixing. So it's not that you're, it, it's, it's a break in your brain where you can go, right, you need to fix this. So it's, it's working out how to fix it. How do you fix it? For me, it was being outdoors, it was going for walks and it was having goals again and it was going, I'm, I can reach that goal, I am going to do it and having that. that drive. So your brain literally sends you, something's not right here. Yeah, yeah. Your something's brain's right going, here. that's broken. Your brain is broken. So how are we going to fix it? Mm. And you can't put a bandage around it you can put pills in, but and that works for some people. It didn't work for me, and I didn't. And for me, pills more cover the the problem than fix it. They're a short term solution to a long term problem. I think you're a very logical person, though. Like, yes. doing like how you are now. Yeah. I think some people, uh, and again, some, my thing with 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 antidepressants is if you need to take them, mm. you take them. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So like, so like you 100%. you took them that one day, and mm. you had that person talk to you, and straight away was like, I don't need this. Yeah, yeah. I can sort this out. Yeah. Unfortunately, you end up hitting a bit more rock bottom, but you had the thought process to be like, um, yeah. for some people who don't have that, I fully believe, I think you'll agree with this, take them. If it keeps you alive, yeah, take yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But as you've said, you're taking them on the premise of, this is just masking the problem temporarily. Yeah. I'm going to get myself to a point where I'm okay, yeah. and then I'm going to do something to get myself off them. I need yeah. to fix the underlying problem that's still there. Yeah. I think that's how they should be used, rather than just, oh, you're feeling depressed, here's a tablet, off you go. Yeah. It's... the because again, the doctor should be sending these people. This is only temporary. It's yeah. not going to fix the problem. What you need to do is you take these for two months, mm-hmm. get yourself into a good place, but then you, during this time, you need to start understanding what the problem is yeah. and doing the work there. Because as you said, otherwise you end up on for the rest of your life. Yeah, so yeah. I think you're a very logical person with that. Yeah. Um, what, what things do you do now then that, to, to, to help you when you do you notice your triggers? Do you know you've got a specific thing that um, triggers you and you notice? Because like I, I know when I feel prickly, mm. I, I call it feel, I just feel a bit prickly. I don't, and I'm mm. trying, I take a nap. Yeah, yeah. So bizarrely, my thing is if I take, if I if I I know there's two scales for me. Yeah, like a mild thing mm-hmm. is a big thing. Yeah, a mild thing will fix ninety percent of my bad mental health days. I just take a little nap, fifteen mm-hmm. minutes, wake up, and I literally even if it's four o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah, it's a new day, crack on, and I would literally that's me done. Yeah, fine. I then have it before, like when I went to, to Cornwall in the summer, mm. I had a full breakdown. Yeah. I knew that wasn't going to cut it, but I spoke yep. to Mikey. Mikey gave me some strategies and I just went away and I allowed myself to feel for that week. Yep. Journaling and all that sort of stuff. So I'm very aware of it. Do you know what your sort of triggers are and what you sort of do to deal with them? I never know what a trigger it. I never know what triggers it, to be honest. Um, it can be any number of things. Um, relationships is one. Um, like I spoke to somebody the other day about that. Someone asked me about, you know, why are you single? Uh, and I, that's one thing I've still not managed to to crack is getting over that fear of a relationship and feel of the fear of it failing and all that sort of all that sort of thing. So, it's, but at the minute I'm happy where I am single. Um, I've got other things to focus on. So that's one thing that triggers it. And sometimes if I 
have a particularly bad week at work and I feel like I've not moved forward, then that will that will trigger it. However, I know exactly what I'm going to do to fix it. And the one thing I will do is I will just go for a walk. And even having a 20-minute walk, half an hour walk, sitting um, sitting on a park bench or sitting in the woods or whatever and just watching the trees move, just that therapeutic sound of the trees and the wind and all that, just watching the trees move and accepting the surroundings that I'm in. Okay, I'm, in the, I'm in the woods or I'm, I'm, I'm walking down by a river or whatever and just allowing nature to do it. There's nothing more therapeutic to me anyway than being in nature. Mm-hmm. It's very um, healing, isn't it? Oh, massively, massively healing. And I, I can't recommend that enough whether you go on your own or you go with a friend um going and having a walk anywhere and just looking around you noticing the birds moving you'd have to be a bird watcher but just noticing what the birds are doing noticing what the leaves especially this time of year with like the autumn leaves i like just looking to see oh, there's a leaf falling where's that leaf going to fall and just focus on something else and just seeing because the other thing you'll notice about nature is it's very chaotic mm-hmm. right but if something that chaotic can also be that beautiful think about your mind right if your mind is that chaotic Right, it's still a beautiful thing, and you are still a beautiful person. So if you, I kind of marry those two things together, and think that my mind is this chaotic. My mind is full of all these branches, and it's all these. You know, you look at an X, you know, tree, and they, I've seen that picture where someone's taking a picture of a tree, and they've superimposed it over an X-ray of lungs and stuff, like that, and all the veins and the nervous system looks like a tree. So we, we're very, you know, human beings and the nature are very sort of intertwined. We are animals at the end of the day. Um, but you think if something this chaotic can also be this beautiful i i can also be you know equally as beautiful i can still love myself as much as i love i love being around here and also just the feeling of fresh air on your face like there's nothing worse because a lot of people as well when they're depressed or they feel you know they feel they feel like their mental illness has taken over they will hunker in inside in a small space in a stuffy area where the air is very stagnant and they'll just feel suffocated by that physically suffocated by that and that won't make them feel any better whereas if you go outside and just feel fresh air on your face and that that for me feels so much better even at work sometimes like if i'm sat at work and i'm having a particularly bad day and i'll be sat inside i'm not feeling up to it today i just want to go home i'll go right i'm going to take myself outside for five minutes and i'll just literally go and stand outside five minutes there's nothing to look at it's just surrounded by buildings there's no nature there but just feeling that fresh air on my face and feeling like i'm gonna take a deep breath in deep breath out and I'll go back and go, right, I feel much better now. And it's something so simple, but it makes me feel so much better. And that's why now, from going to hating going to my parents, I now love going to my parents because I'm lucky enough that they live in, 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 in Norfolk and they have this huge area of land that's full of trees and things like that. And I'll just go there and they won't see me. I'll just walk down the garden. I'm like, I'm just going to go down the garden and see you later. And I'll help my I used to hate as a kid helping my dad in the garden. I love it now. If he goes, oh, the, the hedge needs trimming, brilliant. Give me the trimmer. I'm going to go and do it because it means I'm outside and it's something that has helped me so so much and that i will recommend to anybody if someone messages me and i always encourage people to message me if they're feeling down because another thing that that helped me was just talking about it yeah um i luckily i had my nan who um was the most random person to speak to i never thought i would be pour outpouring to my nan but i would ring my nan on a regular occasion and just go i feel like this and i would outpour everything for some people it's a family member it's a friend it can even be like if you're ringing the samaritans a stranger can be the best person to speak to because they're not going to pass judgment yep. and they're also just going to listen. Mm-hmm. They're just going to go, right, okay, just talk to me. And that's what I try and do now. If someone approaches me and says, I've got this problem, right, just talk to me. I'm not going to give you a solution. Just talk. Just talk. 
It's just, just so therapeutic and just get yeah, it out. Just get it out. Just get it off your chest. Because at least because the other thing as well is a lot of people when they talk, they will find enough solution to them they'll find a solution to it themselves. Mm-hmm. So they'll talk, they'll talk, they'll talk, and they go, actually, well if I do this, I can fix that problem. Mm-hmm. I've not said anything. They've come up with that themselves. Yeah. Go, okay, then that's let's do that then. Tell me how you're getting on. I want you to message me in a week and just tell me how you're getting on. Um so yeah, just, just I can always only ever encourage people just to talk. And it's it's not shameful to feel bad. It's not it's not something to be embarrassed about. So many people are going through it. And if you just talk, you can not only save yourself, but you might be talking to somebody else who's going through some shit as well. And yep. it might trigger with them, go, actually, I'm, you know, at least I'm not alone in this. And you find you find a common common ground with people. Um but that and nature, talking and nature are the two things that for me have helped massively, massively. Honestly. This conversation has been incredible. I genuinely mean that. It's um, it's bizarre because I don't do many in-face podcasts. I, I mm. love doing them. Um, so normally when I hear stories like this, I've got a screen between me and the person. Yeah, yeah. There's been multiple times in this podcast where I've felt very emotional and I've had to hold back the tears. And that's genuinely not me bullshitting you. Like mm. there's been multiple times because it's the way that you articulate things is amazing. Mm. And I'm very looking forward to, to reading your memoir when it comes out, because like I said, even just then we were talking about that being out in nature, mm. when you talk, I can visualize what you're saying. It's very powerful how you do that. I don't know if like, you know, know that gift, but how you talk mm. and how you articulate, you've got a gift with that. It, oh, it's really you. striking. Mm. It's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to pass on to anybody? The question I normally ask people um, and make it specific to what we're talking about, uh, what advice would you give someone, kind of summarise what we've spoken about, mm. what advice would you give someone uh, that's in the forces uh, or anyone in general um, mm. that feels stuck and out of control in their life? Again, just talk. If you if you feel... Uh, the, the, the old adage is a problem shared is a problem halved. And... I wish now coming out that I'd have spoken to more people who had left the military before I came out. Unfortunately, at the time, I didn't really know. Most of the people I knew were already in the military. But if you're thinking of leaving, and I, I say this to people because um, in the job we do, we, we tend to stag on with people who who aren't doing the same job as us. They just have come in to help us out. And there's a, young, a lot of young lads who come through and go, I'm thinking about leaving. I don't really like this. I can get more money doing this. And I always say, well, think very carefully about what it is that makes you happy before you go and jump and do that. Getting an extra 10 grand a year, 10 grand a year sounds good. But if you're now working an extra 10 hours a week to fulfill that 10 grand a year, you're not going to see your family as much. You're not going to see, um, you're not having much free time. You're going to be stressed or for what 10 grand, what's 10 grand going to get you in the long run. It's not going to get you anything because you're not gonna be able to spend it. Cause you're gonna be working all the time. You're gonna be mm-hmm. too tired to do anything. So before you make any real big decision, Always focus on what makes you happy first. What is it that by the time, so I, I'm going to I'm gonna call on my mum again and I love my mum to bits. And this is the one thing I say to everybody. She's coming up 62 next year and she always says to me, I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done this. And I always say to myself, I don't want to be sat on my deathbed at whatever age going I wish I'd have done this I'd rather sit there and go I've got all these stories I've got nothing I, I, I don't care if I die with nothing to my name not a penny to my name but if I can sit there and go I've got all these memories of these great people that I've met of my, me and my son spending time together of places I've been things I've seen that to me is of more value than having an extra 10 grand 20 grand in the bank What's that doesn't give you anything so really focus on what makes you happy 
and what at the end of your life you can sit back and say, I'm proud I did that. I'm glad I did that. Because I guarantee no one's going to sit there and go, God, do you remember Dave? He was on 60 grand a year. <laughs> no one's going to care about that. They'll go, do you remember Dave? Remember having drinks with Dave in the pub? Or do you remember going on that walk with Dave that time? Or what? You know what I mean? That's, that's what you've got to think about is life is nothing if you're not happy. So just really sit down and think about what it is that makes you happy before you make any big decision. And I'll say that to everybody. You're a beautiful human being. Oh, thank you very I much. I am very glad. I'm going to give a big shout out to Heather who uh, who arranged this for me and you talking because yeah. Yeah. you're a beautiful human. Oh, um, I've very much enjoyed this. Uh, I, I genuinely mean that. It's mm. uh, even chatting to you off air beforehand. Yeah. You've got a very good energy about you. Uh, and again, your mission for this podcast was to get this information out there to help some people. Yeah. And you have 100% done that. Um, again, you've helped me and I think you've helped Mikey as well in the corner. Um, it's been absolutely incredible. Where can people find out more information about you? Um, so... Um, if you want to follow me on Instagram, me, I do everything from Instagram now. Um, I, I try and avoid Facebook as much as possible because it's, it's a problematic. But um, if it's underscore Daniel Herrick underscore um, H-E-R-R-I-C-K is my surname. Um, and from there, you can find all the links to everything else I do. I've got, a, I do photography still. So I've got a photography page and I've just launched a thing called the Nomad Pack, which is hopefully going to be helping people who are suffering with mental illness just get outdoors um, and, and just sort of experience the outdoors a bit more. So that's something I'm launching a bit sort of next year but uh, please yeah. keep me post on that because yeah, I, want we'll to, I want to talk about them on my podcast like mm-hmm. when, you, when you do launch that I'll either get you back on to talk about it or I'll just plug it for you because that'd be something I'm very interested in. we spoke about it off air yeah sure it'd be very interesting taking part in that with you yeah sure perfect or, or helping no out with what you're doing because I think you're absolutely awesome no worries Daniel thank you very much no problem thank you for having me <laughs>